everyone. Welcome back to Reality 2.0. I'm Catherine Druckmann. Doc Searles and I are talking to returning guest Don Marty, who you may remember. I hope you do because I think, Don, you've been on a couple times. And Don always has the down low on current events around ad tech. And we're going to... We're going to chat through them, get a little update. But before we get started, I wanted to remind everyone to visit us at reality2cast.com to get the supplementary links and such for each episode and to sign up for our newsletter, which we are sending again. And uh, I think you can do some other things on the website. So go check it out. And with that, I will turn it over to Doc. Yeah. So um, th- this again is a another Linux Journal reunion. Don was editor-in-chief long before I was and was much better than I was as he actually knew his stuff much better than I do and I think it, where we got to how we got to where we are now in a way and I mentioned this on the earlier show is that when I was writing the intention economy I brought in Don um, I think he volunteered Don to 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 help me research the the history of advertising and a whole lot of stuff about advertising and gave him my access to the online Harvard library and he went nuts with it and has become a bigger and bigger and better and more indispensable authority on advertising of all kinds ever since. And, and the reason I wanted to bring Don on now is because there's like the EFF has this thing about let's ban all surveillance advertising. Um, Corey Doctorow is on a bit of a, uh, he's on a high horse about, about it now. I've been on a high horse or several different horses of different kinds at different times. <laughs> But Don knows more about all this than anybody else I know. So I wanted to have him on the show. How are you doing, Don? Not so bad. Not so bad. Uh, how about yourself, Doc? <laughs> I'm okay. This is like this is like my eighth Zoom of the day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's getting old, but this will be the best one. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Linux Journal, I still have my um, editor set up so that when I edit C code, it's only 52 characters wide so it fits in a magazine column <laughs> oh my that's god that's hilarious <laughs> well, oh wow remember those type of magazines where columns were a thing that's been a yeah. while oh wow we're dating ourselves <laughs> oh well so so why don't we, we i think we start in one of two places one is you could give us kind of the 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 state of the world as it now stands the other is we could go straight into the current efforts to, um, to to outright ban all surveillance advertising, which may require definition before I even go into that. So, Yeah, well, if you'd like, I can start out with some good news. Okay. And that is that um, the IAB, the Interactive Advertising Bureau, which has long been the industry group for web advertising, um, has been steadily improving the standards for disclosing to the advertiser which ads they're actually buying. So people realized uh, not so long ago that it was really easy to get sold an ad on one site and then have your ad run on a different site, which is a big ripoff to the advertiser. I would log into an ad console and I'd see, wow, there's there's uh, 
Ads available on the Boston Globe uh, for 16 cents a thousand, and some company out of Brazil is selling them. And IAB, to their credit, went ahead and came up with a couple of matching files that you can stick on your site. One is ads.txt, uh, which is for sites that have ads on them. Uh, and the other is sellers.json, which is for domains that are responsible for selling ads on some other site. So you can parse them, hook them up, and figure out, yes, this, this company is really connected to this other company. And now, uh, with some fairly minor changes to ads.txt, you can now fully connect up your ad all the way down the chain to the actual domain that it runs on. So no more excuses for uh, trying to buy one site and getting another. So that's an advantage on the, um, on the advertiser side. And um, how, but that's, that's kind of aside from the whole surveillance thing though, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is kind of the chain of, chain of custody or responsibility between the, the people paying for the ad and where it runs. But what about yes. the, the surveillance stuff? Well, the surveillance stuff is what uh, enables and puts pressure on both websites and advertisers to do sketchy practices. So if, if you have a publisher that has control of, of access to who advertises to their audience, that publisher has a, uh, a stronger market position and doesn't have to dig into as much of the sketchy stuff. So it's, it's interrelated. There isn't, going, there isn't going to be a full replacement for surveillance advertising without, uh, without making sure the system is honest. That's interesting. So, I mean, when a, in other words, in order to keep the system honest, we have to have surveillance. Is that what I heard? Or, oh, no, no, oh, okay. we absolutely. Yeah, we absolutely do not have to have surveillance. And the problem is essentially a race to the bottom by websites that would do better in a totally surveillance free environment mm. but because their same audience is available elsewhere by surveillance they can't unilaterally get out of the system so i yeah. i see a lot of of surveillance ad people making a lot of noise on twitter about oh no what are all these bad things that were that are going to happen to us or that things that we aren't going to be able to do when surveillance advertising goes away. But I think we have, have the responsibility to tell a lot more positive stories about what does advertising look like after surveillance. And hmm. I think it makes the whole business um, a lot more 
uh, appealing to the next generation of people starting out. And it makes it more rewarding for the business. I, I, I want to get to the EFF um, band surveillance advertising thing, but I like what you're saying about the question is what happens after surveillance advertising. So maybe let's go, go there for a second. And I'll ask, because you know the industry better than I do at this point. Does the industry, all of the, all of the operators that are in the entire ad tech ecosystem, do they contemplate non-surveillance advertising or are they very, very committed to it? Because I've talked to so many people who seem very committed to it. Like we're never going to get rid of that. Of course, they don't call it surveillance, but that, it's basically they're pro-tracking. They want to keep tracking alive in some way. Oh yeah, yeah. There's there's um, a lot of concern that if surveillance advertising goes away in one medium, then ad money will move to places where surveillance advertising is still possible. So, for example, if we fix some of the privacy properties of web browsers, will more ad money go into native apps and mm. that makes a that makes a worse experience for everyone or if we fix surveillance on independent sites does that mean advertisers end up giving the world's creepiest php programmer more money for genocide um mm. and that's that's a um a a highly risky timeline to go down. Wow. Um, so I was thinking also like consumer reports and I, I noticed when we bought, we bought a flat screen TV last fall um, and consumer reports has a little rating. One of them is for privacy. They don't give any of them a good mark for privacy. Oh, no, I think you, you can't. <laughs> because, yeah. because they all are basically in the surveillance business at some level. And they have different ways to some, like we have a, a Samsung at our house where you can go in and you can actually, or last I checked anyway, like turn that off. I don't want any, I don't want you to, they have a fancy name for it, but basically watch us um, in order to improve whatever. Um, but with the TCL we have now, there's not even a setting. There's nothing, there's nothing there. You just- Yeah, all you can do is get it on your neighbor's Wi-Fi. <laughs> uh, boy, that's funny. great yeah well we're not we're on our uh, own unfortunately you know, on the topic of consumer electronics it's a little bit of a tangent but i wonder were you involved in the mozilla um privacy by design site at all where they kind of rate consumer devices based on their creepiness scale yeah no i wasn't i wasn't involved with that but Realistically, a, a consumer device is a Linux server. And keeping a Linux server up to date with all the necessary software updates and system administration and configuration, that's, that's a lot of work. And that costs money. Yep. And Nobody can afford to maintain a $20 internet toaster to the standards of 
an internet connected bastion host for 20 years. That just, that, that just doesn't pencil out budget wise. That's interesting. Cause I, I know I said, okay, so our one K Sony Bravia TV, which is in our, uh, lower floor, but we use a lot still. Um, and I know it has a Linux box in it because it came with the GPL printed out. <laughs> with yeah, we, have, yeah. we have to include this because we don't know what it really means, but we have to include it. Um, is that busy being updated now? I mean, it's it's a, a, probably an old kernel. I don't, I don't even know how to go in and check what's in that thing. Maybe. I mean, this, <laughs> this, there's a lot of old kernel versions out there and a lot of people who keep track of which kernel versions are vulnerable to uh, which CVEs. So I'm, um, I'm, somebody, I'm somebody who's been maintaining Linux boxes as a sysadmin, either professionally or for the family mail server. And it's, it's a thing. You ever see the movie um, Christmas Story? Probably a long time. Yes. Oh, 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 yeah. With uh, the leg lamp, and you know, you'll shoot your oh, yeah. eye out. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. It's yeah. A, a Gene Shepherd one set in Hammond, Indiana, right? Yeah. As they call it. Well, I'm the I'm the the dad who goes down and fixes the furnace with the, <laughs> with, the right. with the Linux server. So there's uh, cloud, clouds of smoke and cursing, and and you have to keep these things up to date, and uh, and expecting an inexpensive device to be a secure internet host for as long as as somebody uses it that's that's a big deal yeah i was thinking so, so that there are light bulbs that have been on for like 50 or 100 years i think <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> these are these are different um so so basically what you're saying is if you have a device that's connected to the internet in any way, it's just, just give up at that point. Don't even bother checking the little Mozilla site that I always recommend to people. It's just accept that it's, it's going to be creepy no matter what. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I'm gathering. Well, it could be, I think. <laughs> right. Well, I have a smart TV. So the, the monitor that I'm using for talking with you right now is a smart TV. I've just never given it the Wi-Fi password, my own, the neighbors, anybody's. Mm -hmm. You just have a, you just, you just have a TV monitor. You just, just feature basically. Yeah. 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 It's got, it's got HDMI one hooked up and that's it. No other, no other network or anything. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let, let, I, I want to go back and talk about the industry again, because there's a couple of assumptions that it makes, which is one of which is, let me just visit this one, that the the best advertising is the most personal, is the most targeted. You can't beat that. And you were the one who taught me, you know, 12 years ago. Actually, that's direct marketing. And that's the that's not necessarily the advertising world, but the advertising world has sort of adopted it. Um, and there's this other kind of advertising, which is what people pay millions to put on the Super Bowl, which are aimed at very broad populations and, and send a strong economic signal that uh, this beer is good, this truck is tough, um, 
you know, so you know what that is. You know, you see the Audi ad, you see people driving in the desert and and you know what that's about. And but I but I wonder, I mean, I, I suppose, I mean, direct marketing will be, I suppose it'll be on earth after the sun gets hot and 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 will be with us forever. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that that's a correct assumption that people have to have to have that when, I mean, I, and, and let me, let me go a little further with this. I'm not doing a very good job of it. I think the kind of advertising that Google makes most of its money with, which is search-based advertising, you search for the height of Mount Everest and you get uh, an ad for a hotel in Nepal um, is different than the Facebook ad where uh, you're going fishing in Montana and somebody who's selling fishing tackle to, you know, people who fit these particular profiles going to Montana um, will fall into that. It's not necessarily personal, but you're in a small box that's highly targeted at that box. That's also different. Um, and then there's the, and then, and then Amazon, for example, Amazon, you know, has, I've heard, well, Amazon makes so much money from advertising on its site. Well, of course, but it's, that's different. Everybody's already buying there. You know, you're, you're already there for the purpose of buying. You're in the store. It's like a point of sale display. It's different in kind again, right? But Amazon is also out there following you around the web, right? So, so and they're advertising elsewhere as well. In some cases, they get co-op or kickback money because you you already bought the washer from from Amazon, but now you're seeing the ad for the washer when you go to some other site, right? That's anyway, these are there there's vends between these. These are overlaps, but they're very different in kind. So maybe you could do a better job than I just did of pulling these things apart because we need to know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. And and the First one that is dramatically different from all the others would have to be those Amazon ads because Amazon is not just the site on which the ads appear. They're also the makers of the competitive product. So um, I, I like um, Logitech computer mice. And mm -hmm. so uh, a while ago, I went to Amazon and did a search for Logitech mouse. And it said, mm -hmm. Oh, find computer mice right by here. brand on Logitech <laughs> there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, find, find computer mice by brand click Logitech. And so I typed in Logitech mouse, I clicked Logitech on the list of categories where there's a search result and i go through to a page and so i'm expecting i'm going to see the whole logitech mouse line whether it's organized by price or some algorithm or whatever but no first mouse on the page amazon yeah. basics mouse <laughs> right, right? Mm -hmm. okay yeah, okay yeah. so <laughs> When I did the same search just recently, click, I come through to a page that's got more Logitech art on it, and it's Logitech, quote, advertising, 
But mm -hmm. what Logitech's paying for is get that Amazon Basics mouse out of our search results. Uh, uh. Oh, that's interesting. That's a shakedown. That's, that's an interesting shakedown on huh. the part of, of Amazon. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's like it's it's shelf it's it's shelf space stuff it's, it's the new shelf space war right in other words yeah. amazon owns the store they're saying we're going to put amazon basics on the end cap for everybody who comes through but for you we'll take it off the end cap and take them straight to we'll make the whole aisle nothing but your stuff if you pay us right sure Thanks. sure the, the better position you pay for, the worse position relatively the store brand ends up with. Yeah. And the, the grocery slotting model is, uh, is certainly a good example of that. So, okay, so there's, there's that. But, but Amazon is also busy following you around. They're in the surveillance business off-site. You know, when I look at, we've had... Uh, Augustine Fu on here a couple of times and and he has this thing called page x-ray that takes a look at what um what what's what what your browser is getting infected with at the at the moment <laughs> and uh what's got fingerprinting what doesn't but and there are lots of the usuals there but Amazon is one of the many cookies that you're getting that just gonna gonna show up elsewhere as you go about the web right so yeah. I, I, I'm not, as an Amazon shopper, I'm not aware that anything I'm seeing on their site is any different because of that. But I suppose that's part of the idea anyway. Yeah, yeah, they don't, they don't make it obvious that a particular thing is following you around because stuff following you around is the thing that makes people turn on privacy tools or ad blockers. Yeah. So it, it's, it's, it's widely done that you don't make it look too good. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to go back to one of the things that you said before, which is that you said that surveillance ads are always going to be with us. And mm -hmm. well, no, I, I'm, I'm speculating yeah. about that. Okay. I'm not necessarily believing it, but yeah. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to say no. And <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to look back at the history of um, people's interaction with the element lead. And mm. we've wow. used lead for so many things in history, right? Lead pipes, lead, um, mm. lead, paint. Uh, lead solder, lead paint, lead stained glass windows have a little lead um right uh, yeah. section in between the panes of glass um lead bullets of course lead fishing weights there's so much so much lead and um your old timey radio has that that warm radio smell which <laughs> i don't know how much of that is lead fumes right um right but, well, from the solder yeah but what happened in the 20th century is that we got really good at pumping a lot of lead into people at extreme scale. Um, tetraethyl lead was invented. It was put in all the fuel and right. 
everybody who um, the the more the more internal combustion engines you had around you, the more lead you got into your system. And mm-hmm. we we ended up not just getting rid of leaded gas, which came about through a convoluted um, series of events where it turns out, oh, the lead is bad for the catalytic converters. Well, we've got to take the lead out so the catalytic converters work better. And now it reduces the lead in our bloodstream and that's got health impacts. So we've got another reason to get rid of lead. And now there's a whole let's get rid of lead momentum going on and we don't just get rid of leaded gas and lead paint and lead pipes and all those big obvious sources of lead in the environment now we're going out and tracking down lead solder or Mm -hmm. uh, lead pellets in shotgun shells um, or all those little niche uses of lead and so what what we've seen with surveillance marketing is it kind of started off with um in effect the the lead pipes and lead bullets level of exposure where you get catalogs and direct mail and people kind of tolerated that but then when with the internet, it became possible to constantly expose everyone to massive quantities of surveillance marketing all the time. That's when the um, the cause of we need to ban this stuff uh, gets fired up, and that um, that cause isn't going to stop with just banning the large-scale extremely toxic uses of uh surveillance marketing it's going to it's going to keep going it's going to be fair and it's going to go out to its logical conclusion so it's the lead or the asbestos of the internet well it's the it's 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 a mental um it's an informational analog to who mm-hmm. led yeah you can think of it that way but but our but but i think your point and correct me if i'm wrong is that there's a there's a there's a groundswell of intolerance and antipathy toward it that is going to obsolesce it um regardless because people are just people hate it they don't want it there's no there's never been any demand for it on the user side at all um and uh and it and it's seen as toxic at this point i think well we can't afford it we can't afford it right right now right now we've got the legit brands that are users of surveillance advertising um they go on social media and they only want to buy people who are young and wealthy and um and within their quote target demographic and Mm -hmm. what that means is as legit marketing money gets more concentrated in the uh 
higher socioeconomic groups, you end up with the eyeballs of everyone else uh, becoming available to uh, foreign disinformation, uh, run-of-the-mill scams, um, all the all the worst stuff oh, you might you might imagine. So, so the the fact that um, the fact that that a legit fashion brand buys ads to young, hot, rich people means that uh, um, old, broke, <laughs> ugly people get uh, <laughs> a lot of, uh, of really toxic stuff. And they don't like it. And they'd like to have laws that ban it. And, um, you know, but, but you're saying that toxic stuff goes away too. Is that right? Or you're just saying we'll always have that? Well, the... The toxic stuff. The toxic stuff is um, is going to people are going to try to get it out one way or the other. Before the internet, people would put KKK flyers in the stalls in the men's room, right? So they're going to try to get it out. So the same the same guy who used to be putting a KKK flyer in the stall in the men's room can now get on social media and reach way more people way more effectively because he's got a, a giant data center uh, trained up on machine learning to find the people for his message. So that kind of that kind of toxic communication is mm -hmm. still going to be out there. People are still going to be trying to make it. But without the surveillance marketing apparatus to draw on, it's not going to be as amplified. It's going to be back to flyers in men's rooms. So we haven't really talked about Google Topics, which I think we had you know, talked about, thought about talking about. Sorry, I know I've steered it back there. And, yeah, go for um, it. Uh, you know, we had, a, we had a conversation actually, God, it's been a while back when drupal um added block flock flock blocking by default and we haven't really talked about any of that initiative uh since then because topics is i guess the successor to um, flock and i wondered you know it's at first they're, they're trying to present it as a more private alternative replacement and really that's problematic and i wondered if you you could talk about that a little bit yeah so um, Google Topics API is, like you said, the replacement for Flock, and it has some um, mathematical privacy properties that make it less useful for fingerprinting than Flock was. The, okay. the big yeah. problem, the biggest problem with Flock is that it's a bunch of um, uh, impenetrable fingerprinting bits that follow you around everywhere. And nobody can really tell exactly what it means. It's just more data to help identify you. So kind of, kind of um, uh, it, it was definitely seen as, as something that is um, a, a big privacy risk. So what Topics does is 
instead of one flock cohort ID that goes with you everywhere, it will leak a sample of some of the categories of sites that you're interested in. So if you go to sites about uh, fishing and boating and yacht rock, then uh, you don't know which of those interests are, are going to get shared with uh, each of the sites that you visit. But if you visit the um, car and driver site and the road and track site, then those two sites might get a different topic for you. Uh, so they can't use topics to connect you uh, as the same person um, uh, across the two sites. Okay, that makes sense. But so what I mean, do you, what do you think? Are you uh, any less concerned about topics than you were about flock or do you? It's, it's still a problem. And the big problem is that we've still got too many ad tech intermediaries trying to monetize too many problem sites. And uh, I'll share a link with the show with for the show notes for a couple stories of um, uh, problems with uh, in in this case Google, but it's it's true of a lot of um, uh, of ad intermediaries. Uh, they will actually uh, obfuscate which ad the site is which ad, which site an ad is going to appear on by tagging it as quote is confidential and so all of those is confidential um, uh, sites could end up being something that's brand unsafe or even under sanctions and those brand unsafe those brand unsafe sites or confidential sites or sanctioned sites end up getting the same exact information out of um, uh, out of Google Topics as any other site can. So that seems like a yeah, that seems like an opportunity there for bad things to happen. Um, yeah, that's like I, I'm just you know I wonder it's it I wonder it if this is just going to be a series of you know is it. It, will there be enough pushback that Google just continues to propose new things and test new things until until it's it's whittled down, or is or it, are we just going to have to give up at some point and accept that this is, you know, or just not use Chrome? I guess I don't know. Yeah, the 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 not use Chrome um, uh, path is frankly looking more and more viable there's some there's some really good progress being made mm -hmm. by the apple safari uh, people mm -hmm. on support for um, obscure css properties and other compatibility stuff and so um, safari is is not necessarily a, a big enough step back browser features wise to 
continue to make people uh, switch to Chrome. Of course, there there are Google sites that are that are trying to get you to switch to Chrome, like Google Maps. You get you get a uh, a little dialogue saying, "Don't you want to view the site in Chrome?" And it's easy to get nudged into it by one of the Google properties. But uh, staying staying away from from Google Chrome is uh, certainly um, um, certainly getting getting to be a, 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 an easier choice to do. What's What's funny slash weird is I was there. <laughs> you know when Chrome Chrome was it was a practically a non-entity, and I still I feel like I how did Chrome get to be the browser? Like I, I mean again I was there I watched it happen, mm -hmm. and yet I have trouble. And I understand there you know so many small nudges built you know add up to a lot of nudges, um, but I still you know Firefox was always a really good Firefox browser. Firefox is but slow. Safari was iffy. I mean, what I remember about that time was that I mean, Google had a really compelling um, comic book, um, like a 20-page comic book explaining, um, I mean, it was online, but it, it paged like a comic book that explained why they had to make their own browser. It was basically yeah. saying, we, we supported Firefox. I mean, it, the subtext was, we supported Firefox um, it's not doing what it's too slow. It's not doing what you want it to do. There are design issues with it. We're going to design a new browser from the ground up, but it wasn't like we're going to take over the world with it. I think that, I don't know if they wanted to at that point, but they, I recall when it came out, it was so much faster than Firefox, at least on what I was using. And that made a difference. Yeah. Well, um, they had process per tab. So right, exactly. A... Every pet tab is its own process. Very different. Yeah. So if you have if you have an SMP machine, then you're not you're not uh, bottlenecked on everything running through one process. And so it definitely took Firefox a while to catch up on performance. So the the um, the reasons to switch browsers are a surprising number of people have more than one browser and something breaks, they try it in another browser. And if it works in the second browser, they're more likely to switch full time. So browser browser uh, switching is driven by, um, hey, this doesn't work. Can I try it in another browser? Right. It works. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I use a bunch of different browsers for different things. It's easier for me with my four different Flickr and, <laughs> um, and uh, Twitter accounts to just have four different browsers to use them with rather than go on one and switch between them. I know there's ways to do it, but they're all different per browser and I didn't want to screw with that, right? So it's just easier to run these different browsers all at once. Um, and also like I've got, I've got 40 tabs open in this browser and I've only got five on that other one. I'll go to the other one because, you know, like for the other podcasts that we do, um, I just use Brave for that. I don't use Brave too much otherwise, but I use it for that, you know, and there are other things I just use Microsoft's browser, you know, it's, uh, though that broke, <laughs> I haven't used that one in a while. <laughs> Something went wrong with it. It wanted something and I didn't know what to do with it and I just... 
but that's the point. I mean, you have, you're using a bunch of them already. You just give up on one. Let, let, let me ask about the EFFs thing about let's just ban all surveillance advertising because we're on just an advertising themed episode. Um, where do you stand on that? I mean, have you studied it? Do you looked at it? Do you think it's a good idea? Um, I'm I'm 100% for a surveillance advertising law, a, a surveillance advertising ban, um, if it can be done fairly. Um, the risk of a surveillance advertising ban that gets rewritten at the last minute by midnight lobbyists to exempt one form of surveillance advertising is incredibly high. So yeah. there's a there's a banned surveillance advertising bill right now that's um, uh, that's been introduced in the House of Representatives, and that bill has a big scary loophole in it. And I can send you a, a blog thing that I wrote for the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, that that surveillance advertising ban would exempt some of the most dangerous practices that the big uh, companies, particularly Facebook, use, while banning the the ad the the conventional cross-site tracking based ads on uh, a lot of independent sites. So the, sh the short-term effect of, of that particular surveillance ad ban language would be um, all the ad money goes away from all the legit sites and it goes inside a, a social platform that aggressively hides what's going on ad-wise, which would be um, mm. a, a, a civilization level risk, put it that way. Wow. So it, it, at the very least, it's a banned Facebook competitors um, uh, law, right? Right, right. You get, you get a lot more safety in banning surveillance advertising if you could ban the large systemically risky platform companies first mm. and how do you could you do that because they're sort of different in a way that they in the ways they approach advertising well part of the part of the answer is um treat the surveillance advertising problem like we treat certain categories of um, of environmental problems and start with uh, reporting and taxation so mm. in, instead of starting with a surveillance advertising ban you'd say uh, there's now a tax on the on any database table containing personal information and it scales as say n log n so if you have a um, hundred thousand people you pay a dime each you get a million people you pay a dollar each 10 million people you pay ten dollars right. um, use yeah. 
use the use what they call a Pigovian tax, which is a, a nice piece of uh, of market design. Uh, use a use a Pigovian tax to make extremely large, systemically risky uh, PII databases um, uh, economically infeasible. That's interesting because that would they would end up. I mean, if you got, I mean, if, I'm trying to think of entities that have large PII, personally identifiable personally identifiable information, but aren't advertising. Would they be taxed? I think they should be. Otherwise, they'll just go into the surveillance ad business with their existing. Uh, because it's so easy database. and it makes them money just anyway. Right. Right. What would be, and, what would be examples of that? I mean, it would be. I suppose every customer, any company doing customer service, they have lots and lots of records of people. They would be taxed for the, for having yeah. those records. Yeah, you, utility companies like um, PG&E or Con Edison would have a lot of records, and and the the problem with big databases on uh, with big databases about people is that the risks of being in the database are on the person in the database and the benefits are on the owner of the database. So if you- That's really interesting. Yeah, so, so you're saying, I mean, a, a subtext of what you're saying or something that just isn't said yet and we can say it now is that um, the utility companies, um, any any large company that has lots of personal records is probably already in the surveillance advertising business because there's a market value for those for the for that data. Is that right? Oh yeah, state departments of motor vehicles are in the business because they've got uh, they've got driver's license data. Right, and and the phone companies are in the business because they're busy selling or giving away data to their partners. Oh yeah, yeah. For data for data privacy day, I tweeted some of my Verizon data. They've got uh, they've got some interesting uh, they've got some interesting column names. They've got they've got a, a score assigned to me that rates how likely I am to be an online influencer. So, um, so I don't know what it means. Uh, well, but, it means you are. I can tell you that right now. But it. It's too bad, but you are there. You're here. I mean, does right? it indicate the scale? Right. <laughs> exactly. I I need to get a bunch of I need to get a bunch of people to go get um go go to a CCPA right to know for, for your Verizon data, um and see what your influencer score is, and we'll we'll compare them. We'll see wow. who's the who's the mightiest influencer. I, that's can, a really can, good idea. I should do can that. Can we with rent the, California? Oh well, Doc, you have a California address. I do not. I wonder. Can I? Rent I do, a but, I, but I have um. And uh, <laughs> uh, but I've, I've but I've for T-Mobile. I'll be interested to see if T-Mobile has that. Um, they probably do. But I, there's a really interesting point, though. I want to make it as clear as possible, because this is a new thing for me. Uh, that first that. Any, any large company that already has a lot of customer or personal data is likely to sell it and is already in that in the surveillance business either as a direct or indirect participant. And 
a possibly better way, and this is the original thing I'm hearing from you, especially original anyway, is that a better approach than just coming out with a law forbidding it is simply taxing it. Well, impose an economic cost to them for having this in the first place. Yeah, and and usually, um, usually, if you come out and say we're going to ban this thing, then people carve out a bunch of exemptions to it. And um, right. there are, of course, going to be people who try to get exemptions to a tax. Uh, they might say that, oh, health data doesn't count because health data is under this other law. Mm -hmm. or, um, right. Right. or if it's related to airline passengers, then we can't do it because of federal, uh, because of some, some aviation treaty we're a party to that requires us to do this with passenger data, right? So there's, mm -hmm. there's going to be people who come out with, with exemptions to it. And that's probably okay if we start with the tax and um, and let the let the market fix the uses of um, surveillance data that are uneconomic first, and then take another another whack at, at another batch. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting as an approach. Um, I'm wondering. I mean, so, so, I mean, so being in the business of selling personal data to marketers who are then going to use it to personalize ads is a thing, but there's, um, there's what, there's the efficiency of that market just for doing what it claims to do. Like, does it actually sell something? And might we fight this by simply coming up with better ways for demand and supply to meet each other that will obsolesce the whole guesswork thing? That's what I've wanted for like ever. So I'm just bringing it up again because I'd like to think it's possible. Yeah, yeah. And marketing departments, I think I've mentioned, I think I've mentioned this before, but marketing departments have two jobs. And one of them is try to sell goods and services to the customers. Uh, and the other one is sell the marketing department to uh, company management. Right. And if the marketing department is going on slower moving, harder to measure metrics like brand lift or brand equity um, mm -hmm. or, um, or anything that, that moves slowly and is harder to measure, then they're not going to be putting up as good a case for themselves as if they can have a faster moving, faster to measure metric. Mm -hmm. And marketing is an extremely long chain of principal agent problems where everyone, whether it's the, the code, the DSP, the agency, um, the person on the client side who hired the agency, um, on up through company management and ownership, every level has to justify itself to the level above using mm -hmm. numbers. Right. And in addition, I mean, one of the cases I'm often making or the claims I'm making, it's not a case as much, 
um, is that it's very early in the history of where all this goes. We're, we've only had we've only had digital living for the like a generation or so. We've only been in a world where phones are getting data pretty much everywhere. Um, that wasn't the case just even a few years ago. I was at Pete's Coffee this morning, and um, and the my phone said, "Hey, do you want to get on Pete's Wi-Fi?" And I'm sure, we got on it. it's like it's got like three megabits down and eighty kilobits up, and I turn off the Wi-Fi and I'm getting like 50 down and 50 up from T-Mobile, you know, so, but, and I could just sort of trust unless I'm off in the woods somewhere that I'm going to get, I'm going to be on the internet anywhere without thinking about it. And that's, but that's new. That's still relatively new. And I sort of think that in time, we're going to just find better ways for demand and supply to signal each other than we're getting right now out of guesswork on one side that's kind of holding all the cards. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to see that some of the parties that take advantage of what uh, surveillance advertising offers are, are so actively harmful that we have to cut off the supply of data in general. Um, I think we've we've seen some of this with um, with use of um, of surveillance data for uh, targeting of weapons, but there's a a really a concerning paper called Micro-Targeting as Information Warfare that I think we really have to look at and say, um, hey, wait a minute, we can't put these assets of our civilization in such a vulnerable place. Micro-targeting warfare. I think that might be the title. <laughs> no shit. Uh, yeah, micro-targeting as information warfare is the name of the, the paper. Yeah, I was already looking it up. Um, there's another one I just ran across today about how Europe wants to do facial recognition for everybody. Presumably for just, you know, I, you know, easing ID creep through the sphincters of commerce and, and travel and the rest of it. But we really don't want that when the, um, when the killer bots want to come shoot you in the head, right. You know, because they see your face and. Right. Right. And the, the author, the author of the paper is uh, professor uh, Jessica Dawson. Okay, cool. So um that's that's something that that um pri privacy nerds and national defense nerds don't uh converse as much as maybe we should because there's um there's a, there's a lot of overlap during during world war ii private sector companies would paint uh, fake roads and bushes and stuff on top right. of aircraft plants in order to protect uh, 
the country's productive capacity from um, from bombing. And we haven't gotten to that level of understanding the the risks um, and the the more that the more that the the consumerization of weapon systems uh, is a thing probably the more that we're going to going to see um, um, we're going to see information transfer in that area um, I this think is all good we're probably little... coming up are we about to <laughs> I was just saying we're coming up past an hour so yeah I just but noticed we can keep going yeah, mm -hmm. Joe Rogan goes could, three hours, so you know. Or we could schedule a take two next week, or sorry, a week after next, not next week, because next week is you know, your conference. But um, yeah, this is interesting stuff. It's interesting the overlap between national security and privacy. I feel like, well, I mean, this is you know, overstating mm -hmm. the obvious, but you know, government agencies really should. Um, uh, communicate a little bit better. I feel like there are so many conflicting interests uh, in various sec segments of the government that, um, I don't know, their interests seem at odds, which just is not super efficient for the rest of us. But yeah, I feel like on one hand, you've, you have the governments out there trying to undermine encryption. And on the other one, they're like, hey, but wait a second, <laughs> security and privacy are related. And all of these things lead to... Um, bad things anyway it's i think something else going on is just that um there's there's just a shitload of information out there and everybody's overloaded the more curious you are the more overwhelmed you get as well i mean it's a, i mean it, there's a corollary to that which is boy this disinformation is really tasty and i can just i can hook up with my cohort i find a whole cohort around this just disinformation which looks like information to me it's like religion i mean you know just i've got i belong to this now you know and um and i don't have to i could just study stuff that that plays that tune you know rather than just be curious about everything um well, i mean I'm, i feel like I'm, i need to read this paper for sure <laughs> but yeah. okay so on one hand you have you have this you have this type of research and people are obviously very aware of the dangers of micro targeting but on the other hand um law enforcement buys marketing data to skirt the fourth amendment so maybe those two should have a conversation oh yeah <laughs> you know? yeah I, it's like, come on guys like hey. well <laughs> the best thing that we could do for privacy in this country is for ATF to start doing surveillance marketing for enforcing the firearms laws. Hmm. <laughs> wow. If that if that happened, then a lot of people would insist on a lot of fixes to a lot of systems that haven't been made yet. Wow. That's amazing. That's interesting. Yeah, that is kind of an interesting checkmate there, isn't it? Um, huh, I don't know yeah. how we can top that. And it could be it can be combined with with any other uh, federal agency as 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 long as private sector 
organizations can do things like go out and buy uh, data um, for uh, the whole Catholic priest story. I'm sure you're mm, you're familiar yeah, yeah. with that. <laughs> um, or if you're not, I'll link to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and there are other extremely controversial laws where um, Texas is letting you get 10 grand if you can if you know find somebody who had an abortion. And the easiest way to find that is buy that data. Yeah, yeah. Those, yeah. those, those bounty hunters are out there. And um, bounty hunters are out there. Foreign adversaries are out there. Um, surveillance advertising is not a big enough deal to the economy to be worth preserving at the cost of uh, exposing ourselves to those risks. Yeah, I, you know the 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 day that the the you know basically the abortion vigilante law came out in Texas, I you know I'm sure you're posting to Facebook nonstop like, hey, you know, link to EFF surveillance self defense. Every woman I know needs to, you know, I don't know what your reproductive health situation is, but ladies, pay attention and go, you know, because mm -hmm. it's serious, serious stuff. Yep. Well, on that pleasant note. <laughs> I think maybe uh, that might be a good place to wrap it up, uh, or at least until until the next the next time we get a chance to talk, and then we can keep it going. Yeah, and it's not it's it's definitely scary. It's definitely um, that there are definitely a lot of things that need to be fixed. But um, I'm I'm optimistic with uh, with. Uh, IAB making those uh, transparency changes with some of the positive movements toward um, uh, antitrust and uh, and at least starting to talk about how are we going to uh, get rid of surveillance uh, uh, surveillance advertising. We're we're making progress. That's great. Thanks, Don. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.